Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. Welcome to yet another fabulous episode of the B2B Sales Trend, the podcast that brings you hacks, tips, tricks, thought leadership, anything around sales, marketing, and customer success. It's brought to you by Global Performance Group, a revenue improvement boutique that implements behavior change through a hybrid ecosystem of application-focused training solutions, scalable technology and expert coaching. We empower all customer-facing people to create, shape, and sell value at an elite level. My name is Harry Kendall-Buffer. Today I have with me, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce your surname, welcome to B2B Sales Trends, Terry. Harry, how are you? It's uh, Terry Kuchaluchis, by the way, just to get our listeners a little taste of the name. Fabulous. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for your time today. Um, as a way of starting this off, uh, just to give you a brief introduction, uh, you've held uh, numerous very senior uh, positions at uh, Siemens Healthineers, as well as uh, Abbott, as well as Boston Scientifics. As a way of starting off the interview, Terry, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how, how your path led you to medical device sales, if you would? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting pathway. And I I stumbled into healthcare by total accident, so it's you know that's a different story. But you know, basically, a little background about Terry Kuchaluchis is that I have been in the healthcare space for 30 years, and had an opportunity to hold and being blessed by uh, having multiple different responsibilities. Harry, I carried a bag for 10 years. Um, I spent multiple stints inside of strategic or national accounts inside the healthcare space three or four times, uh, even when it wasn't cool to be in strategic accounts back in the you know, early 2000s. I've held sales roles. I've held leadership roles in sales, regional leader, area leader, national leader. Um, I've held sort of center of excellence type of backroom opportunities of leadership where I've run marketing, commercial operations, and communications. And so I really have been blessed by having a diversified career, but also you know, I've, I've managed a way to move up from carrying a bag and then holding leadership role and responsibilities and revenue responsibilities for some great organizations like Boston Scientific, Abbott, uh, and most recently before I left Siemens Health and Ears. Wow. Uh, you've certainly seen it all uh, through throughout med device sales. What, uh, what would you say are the most important things that someone needs to know to really start their career initially and break into medical device sales? Well, I think, first of all, in order to be effective as a medical device or medical technology sales representative, um, you need to bring great listening skills and great understanding skills that put you in a position to really empathize with your customer. Mm. Um, and then once you understand your customer, I do think that someone who understands and can have a great sense of purpose, um, because money is not the motivator out there and success is, you know, there's lots of different ways to define success. But to me, where I've seen across the board where success has really been driven is that sales representatives that have a sense of purpose, 
um, really drive that achievement. Um, and then, you know, obviously understanding the customer, their ambitions, their goals, so that you can make their purpose your purpose. And then I would say <clears throat> another thing that might be even actually controversial in today's sort of, you know, social professional networking, you know, you've, you've heard a lot of things about quiet quitting. And mm -hmm. I would say that for me, um, being a quiet quitter in healthcare medical device sales is not acceptable. Um, because mm -hmm. on the other end of that behavior, you have somebody's child, somebody's spouse, somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's brother, somebody's sister is on the other side of that technology. And I just feel like, you know, having that passive approach and not really caring and not bringing that purpose to work every day uh, is not a healthy environment for the customer or the employee or the company. Interesting that you say that, you know, this whole idea of uh, caring first is not just uh, uh, some marketing tagline of some company, but it really it's something that needs to be uh, lived, needs to be really in your culture uh, to be able to affect everybody, not just your customers, but also your colleagues and, uh, and everybody involved within your company. Very interesting. Um, you said something interesting. Money is not the motivator, and people need a sense of purpose. We're trying to hire right now some people, and there's all sorts of money demands going on. I know other industries have similar challenges at this time. Uh, there are lots of people who, uh, lots of jobs available, but not a lot of people available. So that obviously uh, drives that demand up. Share with me a little bit more of your thoughts around this. Uh, this sense of purpose. I really like that thought. Uh, say a little bit more about that, if you could. Well, I think that, for example, bringing a sense of purpose to work every day. So whether it's, you know, you've had a relative that has been impacted by cardiovascular disease or cancer or something along those lines, um, working for a company that's helped solve those problems or mm. brings better quality of life to those types of patients you're bringing something to work other than like your will to win or your will to, you know, mm. improve your bank account. Um, you know, those are things that I think temporarily bring satisfaction, but what really brings true satisfaction is when people have a sense of purpose and they feel like they're making an impact on the world mm. and in that area, I think are the greatest motivators. And then across the board, I've seen holistically where those things drive success in a sustainable fashion where money, money might drive success for 90 days or 180 days, mm -hmm. but that purpose seems to have a longer driving sustainable energy that keeps people on top. That idea of you've got to ensure that you're making an impact in, in anything that you do, I think, uh, is a super, super motivator out there. And I uh, couldn't agree more with you. Money is a means to an end, but that purpose, that making an impact, that thought of I'm getting up every day and doing something good for, you know, whoever and whatever uh, is a really key driver. Um, I heard you talk quite a bit about uh, recently about bringing value uh, to buyers throughout the sales process. What insights could you provide to our listeners on the idea of selling value? Well, bringing value, number one, but the other part in terms of when you look at um, 
the value proposition. There are multiple value propositions to multiple people inside of your um, your program or whatever you're trying to sell. And so I, I would say, again, as I said earlier, bringing empathy to the table every day and truly understanding your customers, right? Um, understanding what their ambitions are, what their goals are, what pain they might be suffering through, um, what objectives and ambitions they're trying to achieve and what opportunities they might be trying to capture. And if you can find a way to understand what those things are, then you're in a better position to tie it back to your portfolio or your solution. Because at the end of the day, the customers that are investing, not purchasing, but let's say they're investing, they're looking at it. You look at it like they're trying to buy from you or trying to sell to them. They may be looking at it like I'm making an investment. Mm. And so what they're looking to do is to get value. Anytime you invest in anything, there's always that value on the other side of it. And so how do you help the customer, number one, define the value that they're trying to achieve? Mm. Number two, once that value has been defined, what are the steps necessary and how do you reverse engineer that success back into your solution and how do you play a part of it, right? And so to me, those are the big things uh, when it comes to the value proposition. What are they trying to achieve? How are they trying to achieve it? And then what role do you and your organization or your solution play with the customer in order for them to achieve their goals? That's how I sort of you know, look at that value proposition perspective. Instead of selling your features and your benefits, um, which many sellers, you know, will, you know, go line by line, here's my feature, here's my benefit. And we're guessing whether or not that really plays back into mm-hmm. the customer's fold. And so if you put the customer first, if you truly are customer centric, um, then those features and those benefits should find a way to find value back to the customer. You mentioned a couple of really interesting things that I want to hone in in, in a bit. Uh, features and benefits, obviously, selling uh, over the years, and you, I'm, I'm sure you've seen all, all of the different programs come and go over over your your time. Uh, consultative selling, strategic selling, value selling, and all these things. You know, we call it outcome based selling. It's uh, what we feel is the is the latest term. Uh, that that people need to focus on. To, what I really like what you said was you got to help them define the outcome that they're looking for because I find a lot of the times they don't know that themselves. And you speak to customers and you you sort of need to build up the courage to sort of lead them down the path so they can help them. You can help them define what they're really looking for. What is their outcome? And it requires quite a bit of a different structure and conversation. It definitely does. And it requires, you know, listening really acutely. It also mm-hmm. requires doing your homework, right? I think mm-hmm. that, you know, the days of going into your customers and asking all these open-ended questions and, you know, listening to the responses. Customers today, in today's environment, it moves very fast, fast-paced. Customers want you to already understand a certain level of their business to begin with. They want you to self-educate and, you know, do your own homework. And then you come to the table and you confirm your belief system and your data points. And then you Mm -hmm. might even be able to dig in and deep further and have a better understanding with those customers. But you've got to prove to the customer that you actually have some intellect around their business and what they're trying to achieve. Then I think you start building credibility. And once you've built that credibility, 
then that customer will start feeding you more and more and more, right? And so once they start trusting you, once they find you as a credible source of, of a solution, um, once they believe what you're saying, um, you know, they will come to you with problems versus you trying to seek out and, and trying to find problems for, with them. Right, right. Um, another thing that I heard you talk about quite a bit um, is the importance of stakeholder management in the sales process. There is a multiple amount of stakeholders, and in mid-device sales, obviously, there was always more than sort of the traditional B2B sales. Um, can you walk us through your thoughts and your approach to uh, how to identify and manage stakeholder relationships? Yeah, it's a really challenging question, and it's a challenging thing to execute in the healthcare space, mm-hmm. especially, you know, if you look and you go back maybe 20 or 30 years, or you know, device, medical device sales, medical technology sales um, was not as complex. It was find a physician who liked your technology, they would bring you in and use it, and then you would get paid for it. Mm-hmm. And then you fast forward 20, 25 years where healthcare has gone through considerable amounts of consolidation in the U.S. where you, know, you have large major healthcare systems that have integrated networks. Um, and that's where the stakeholder relationships become more complex. So mm-hmm. you might actually have in some of these healthcare decisions around um, bringing new technology in, you'll have uh, multiple decision makers. You'll have one final decision maker, but you'll have five or six major contributors. You'll have a clinical decision maker. You'll have a financial decision maker. You'll have a procurement decision maker. Um, you'll have department heads. You might have, you know, um, a couple of local geography hospitals being represented. And so you have to figure out um, what type of buyer they are in that process. Are they a final decision maker? Are they an influencer? Um, can they support you going through that process? Are they a user of the technology or are they a fin- do they have a financial aspect on it? And so mm-hmm. looking on how to do that, you've got to find value across multiple stakeholders. Right. It's not just finding the one clinical decision maker who wants to use your stuff anymore. Right. And so you've got to find a way to personalize your value to each and every one of those stakeholders or as much as possible so that when they come together as a group to make a final decision on you know, becoming a sole or a dual vendor or bringing a new technology into the algorithm, um, you you need to find a way to navigate those things so you get as many yeses in the room as possible. Right. And they all have a different set of needs. They all have a different set of priorities. They all have a different set of reasons why they would make the decision for or against uh, your solution. Um, and our experience is that that salespeople find that challenging because they're not always comfortable with every single kind of stakeholder. Is that your experience too? I do. And it depends on the role. And I think that, you know, maybe if it's a, if there's a sales representative in a local geography, they may not have the skills necessary to tackle a system-wide procurement or a financial decision maker. Right. And so that's where I said earlier that today healthcare sales is a team sport. It used to be 20 years ago, it was an individual sport. Mm-hmm. And now, um, you know, with marketing having different roles and responsibilities, with strategic and corporate accounts having a different role and responsibility, with 
commercial operations and data and insights and strategic planning. Um, it really has become a team sport. And because the customer has become more complex, um, how we navigate that complexity um, needs to have a, a full 360-degree offering across the board. And so, you know, where it was very simple probably 20, 30 years ago, it's a very complex um, ordeal today. And it's not just having all the brain power to do it yourself as a person or a sales representative, mm -hmm. but you have to figure out what teammates to bring into the process and when to mm -hmm. bring them into the process to add the value at the right time for the right person uh, in the right situation. And how you manage that entire team uh, in the right uh, moment uh, during the engagement process. Yeah, interesting, exactly. very interesting. Um, very interesting. Uh, there's an old saying, necessity is the mother of invention. I know the past couple of years have been really impacted the, the med device industry, which has led to some really different and innovative approaches to spark sort of growth, resilience. What have you seen in the past couple of years that really struck you as innovative within med device sales? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One would be with the pandemic, it was really interesting to see how some brick and mortar offerings was quickly adapted to mobile solutions mm. or community-based solutions. So I think that the mobility and the remoteness of healthcare have truly accelerated in multiple transformations over the last three or four years. It was already moving in that direction, but I think COVID really, you know, um, accelerated a lot of those things. And so care, healthcare has moved from being delivered in these major healthcare tertiary centers of excellence, these huge compounds to outpatient care, to care being delivered in your communities, to now care is actually being transmitted and delivered in the home these days as well. So it's really been interesting to see how healthcare has transformed from brick and mortar settings to outpatient settings to in the community setting, and then moving even further, you know, to healthcare being delivered in the home is where I've really seen most of that transformation really come into the form of remote, um, virtual and telehealth capabilities as well. And has that changed also the approach or should it, should it have changed the approach that uh, salespeople within med device uh, need to take and, and execute? I think so. I think that, you know, just kind of speaking from my own sort of experiences, I think med device and med, especially medical device companies have really prided themselves on supporting customers in that healthcare setting, right? Being that consultant in the room, whether it's a device or an implant, you know, you've really mm -hmm. played a big part in healthcare over the last 20 or 30 years. And I think, you know, when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden the doors were shut on hospitals, you know, that was really a, a big struggle for a lot of medical technology companies on how to adapt to that mm -hmm. environment, right? Because they're so used to being close to it. So I think that, you know, med device companies need to start figuring out how to bring remote capabilities to supporting implants and devices in the hospitals with people not being there. I think that, you know, we need to work on 
how we create better, you know, technology that has better user experiences without, without people being there, um, making, you know, creating easy buttons for use and not making things so complicated so that that remoteness does not get in the way of success, right? So I think, you know, we've really got to start taking shape of how we deliver our technology, where do we deliver our technology, can virtual play a place is really being a, a big part of that. The other side of it is from a healthcare perspective and how we need to, to move forward as a device or community. I think if your device is not delivering data or insights, mm -hmm. you are at risk for being commoditized unless your device is totally transformational. So if you think about all the things that go on and you know, whether it's orthopedic implants or spinal implants or cardiac implants, um, if those devices aren't able to generate data to provide better care, to monitor those devices over time, I think your technologies will be closer to commoditization than before because I think healthcare mm -hmm. moving forward is going to be a data-centric market segment. And if you're not delivering data, you're not delivering value. Right. That's a big statement. I couldn't agree more with you. So mobile solutions, technologies that, that guarantee a better experience, uh, data insights to be provided. What are the trends do you project to take shape in the near future when, you know, in relation to med device sales? Well, I do think that, you know, when you think about the demographic mix in terms of the aging demographic of a workforce, for example. Mm -hmm. So as a aging Gen Xer, right? And when you look at the, the market itself, you, it's consistent of baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z. And if you think about it, in the next five years, millennials are going to represent 75% of the workforce. Mm. And so on the other side of that, if they're representing 75% of the workforce, they're probably representing 75% of the buyer's market. Right. 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 Interesting. And they buy differently than people like me or mm -hmm. like a baby boomer. Um, millennials prefer a digital first experience. Millennials, 54% prefer not to have a sales rep. And this is, I'm not talking about buying a pizza or a pair of tennis shoes, by the way. I'm talking in a business to business environment. Mm -hmm. And so we, as a medical device and medical technology space, need to figure out how do we cater to the new way of this millennial buying preference versus, you know, selling live with a customer, hand-to-hand, -hand, face to face all the time, because that's not typically the way millennials want to buy. And so okay. we've got to figure out how do we start creating great experiences when we're working with customers asynchronously while they're researching on the internet or while they're in the meta or while they're looking at things through a virtual or augmented reality. And so we've got to figure out how to create great experiences, great buying experiences when our people aren't there. Because frankly, for the last 30 years, we've been building the 
capabilities of our organization with our people going face-to-face, hand-to-hand with our customers. And that's worked for the last 30 years. And now when millennials are going to be taking over a significant part of the workforce and a significant component of the buying workforce, we as a business-to-business commercial organization or commercial segment need to figure out a way to create great buying experiences when we're not there. We know how to create great buying experiences when we are there, Mm. but we need to create great experiences when we're not there. The other side of it is after we bought this, for the past 30 years, we really haven't really thought about the word buyer's experience or customer experience. We've really focused on selling the customer a solution. And now we need to also focus on delivering the value, right? Not just selling the value or promoting the value. Now we actually have to create the experience on after the customer said, I'm in. Now we actually have to deliver. And so we have to figure out how to measure um, how our customer feels about our delivery of that solution. And that delivery, of course, will also change uh, with uh, with the fact that uh, uh, the buying and the selling workforce will be different in five years too, right? Exactly. Right. Right. Interesting times ahead of us. It is. Right? It's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, that's where, for me, that, um, you know, I've evolved probably four or five times over the last 30 years in major ways, just, you know, moving through different phases and segments of the marketplace. And uh, it's, it's never not interesting. It's never boring. Um, there's always new things happening. And, you know, your the, the customers will always keep you on your toes. That's for sure. Right. I love what you said about the customer experience. And it's really is, uh, we talk to a lot of sales organizations and a lot of uh, senior leaders within sales organizations, and they're always so consumed with the idea of, oh, how are we going to push this product? How are we going to sell this hard? What kind, how do we uh, achieve these sort of set of numbers? Nobody ever talks about, why don't we provide them the right customer experience? What do we need to do in order to fulfill that? And a lot of these other problems um, will be solved in my view. It really is. And when you look at the data, you know, it takes four times the effort to create a new customer versus grow mm-hmm. like a dollar for dollar, one dollar for a new customer versus one dollar for an existing customer. It's four times the effort for a new customer. It's four times as disruptive. Um, it probably doesn't come with as good a pricing. And so you know, what we should be focusing on is we always need to focus on growing our business, right? But there's two ways to do it. One way is to actually grow within your current customer base and create great experiences and create great value, become a trusted partner, and then your customer will give you more business, right? They'll Mm -hmm. find ways for you to partner better. And the other way is obviously to grow new logos as well. And I think they both kind of need to be done, right? But you don't get the right to stay, unless you've delivered on what you've already promised. Right, right, Right. exactly. Um, I heard numerous times that the 80-20 rule applies there too. 80% of your business need to come from existing customer, 20 from uh, new customers. Is that that accurate in your view? Yeah, I don't know if I really kind of, you know, I look at it that way or not. I just look at it like, you know, what is your revenue growth? 
Um, and if you have the ability to hit your numbers with an existing customer basis, I think it depends on your market segment. So, but what I would say is that, you know, you've got to focus on keeping what you have and growing what you have. And then you need another part of your, your resources and your energy applied to actually growing your, your customer base in a more diversified fashion as well. Right. Right. Fascinating. Great insights. Can you talk a little about Rev? RX and uh, what you're currently doing, what your mission is there? Yeah, so RevRx has sort of been uh, an accumulation of 30 years of my experiences in the healthcare space from, you know, actually carrying a bag for 10 years. So I didn't just carry a bag for one or two years. It wasn't a rotation for me. So at the heart of Terry is in the DNA is as a true sales professional, um, you know, I've had the experiences of leading commercial organizations and sales organizations. I've been in strategic and corporate accounts. I've run marketing I've run commercial operations. I've designed compensation plans. I've been in sales enablement. And so what RevRx is all about is helping commercial organizations design their success and scale their success. Today's market is ever challenging. Um, you know, it's becoming more remote, it's becoming more virtual. Um, you have a diversified, you know, employee internal segmentation. You have a diversified set of workforces on the outside. You have commercial disciplines and processes. You have automation. Data's becoming a huge part of the, um, the selling process. We talked earlier about customer experience where people are really just starting to sc- scratch their head and say, what does customer experience really mean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you that it's more than just NPS because that's how people have sort of right. for the past years measured NPS. And, you know, NPS has no scientific correlation to your success, by the way, right? right. Um, I've actually seen NPS scores increase while watch revenue decline. And so RevRx is there to help organizations in these areas, whether it's sales, marketing, commercial operations, process design, compensation planning, all those things, help them design and scale these solutions to meet success in their prospective uh, segments of the marketplace. And so that's that's just what we're there for. Um, So needed, so needed indeed. Uh, Good luck with that. Um, Is there a good place if people want to reach out to you where they can get hold of you? LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn is a great, you know, I'm on LinkedIn every day. And, and, you know, inside of LinkedIn, I have my phone numbers visible and my email is visible as well. But, um, you know, I'm probably inside of LinkedIn five or six times a day. And I, when the, you know, the notifications come, I respond and all that type of stuff. So it's the best way for me. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Terry, for the fabulous insights that you've provided to our listeners. I know they're very appreciative about that uh, experience that uh, you have provided. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in again. Until we see you or hear you in the next episode, happy outcome selling, everybody. Look after yourselves. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Harry. Bye-bye.